A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. You ever hear that phrase? Little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It's a quote that is often attributed to Albert Einstein, and it refers to this idea that a small amount of knowledge, thinking they are more expert than they really are, which then can lead to terrible mistakes. Now, the irony in all this is that Albert Einstein didn't really say that. But his quote is all over the internet. The real source is an 18th century English poet named Alexander Pope. And it's from his essay on criticism where he wrote, a little learning is a dangerous thing. And in that essay, Pope also wrote, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And our dear internet says that comes from the Bible. No, no. <laughs> and that phrase is also about the danger of limited knowledge, that a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. So recently, I've been learning personally about massive gaps in my knowledge, gaps that I had no idea existed. A handful of us in this congregation are taking a course called Sacred Ground, we're taking it with other people from the diocese. It's a course developed by the Episcopal Church that looks at America's history on race and racism, and it weaves in threads of economic class and family story and political and regional identity. So we're just about five weeks into this 10-part series, and we're reading excerpts from books, we're reading articles, we're watching documentaries, and we're having regular small group conversations on each segment. And, oh, wow, it has been humbling. Each week, we've looked at a different dimension of American history, and each week, another huge gap, in my knowledge, has been cracked open. Week two, we looked at the experience of indigenous Americans. I mean, some of the shockers, the first one, being that before the Mayflower, when Europeans were going up and down the New England coast, they decided it was way too populated for them to settle. Way too populated, who knew? Or later, when the full-on assault in New England started against local tribes, Europeans started shipping some of the captives off to the Caribbean to become slaves. None of that was in my history books when I grew up in Connecticut. We didn't even learn the names of the tribes who had the land on which my little town, Danbury, was built. The next week, we took a look at slavery. And naive me, growing up in Connecticut, thinking that, ooh, those bad slave traders in the South with the plantations, and us good holy ones up in the North, well, guess what, New England had some of the largest slave traders and slaves in an equal quantity to what was happening in the South contributing, but in a, in a different way sometimes through economic support of the slave system and through having slaves. And even through the Civil War in New England, there was like this reverse underground railroad, a backwards one, where white New Englanders were capturing black people and sending them down south into slavery. And I dove into the internet 
to look at my own family's background. On my mother's side grew up outside of um, Detroit, Michigan, in the Detroit area. And it really only took a couple of clicks to find a map of who owned the land way back when and which one of the landowners had slaves. I got nervous. There are my family back there, Blanchards, Davises, Poppletons. No but I don't think that fully exonerates us. I have no idea what, what the participation may or may not have been. But lo and behold, ancestors of some of the families I know my grandparents were friends with, they're right there on the map. They had slaves in Michigan. Who knew? And this week we're looking at Latino history. And a shocker to naive me, was the amount of people who were lynched here, Latino people, lynched right here in LA. I mean, I knew of like one or two and I thought I knew so much. No, lots and lots and lots of people. So it's making me wonder in my life, prior to learning this and what other places in my life, have I been stomping around with some level of arrogance, or where I have been supporting others stomping around with limited knowledge, presuming that the white perspective of history that I was taught is the perspective. So, what the heck does this have to do with the Gospel of John and the feeding of the 5,000? Well, there's a little part near the beginning when Jesus sees the large crowd coming toward him, and he turns to Philip and asks, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? And we hear Philip reply from his knowledge of basic economics, well, six months wages would not buy enough for each of them to get a little. But there's a little line in between that question and Philip's reply that said, explains that Jesus asked this to test Philip, for Jesus knew what he was going to do. Oof, not a big fan of the idea of Jesus testing us. That somehow if, if Philip doesn't pass, he's not good enough for Christ. And if I don't pass, I'm not good enough for Jesus. But another translation has it that Jesus said this to stretch Philip's faith. To stretch Philip to stretch Philip into a bigger understanding of what's possible. Now that concords with what we know of the Gospels of how Jesus communicated with parables. He stretched people, he pushed people. So this question, where will we buy bread? It's an invitation to Philip to be stretched. Another disciple, Andrew, pipes up with his practical planning knowledge and says, well, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among all these people? So then, with physical deeds, Jesus stretches their minds, stretches the minds of the disciples. He invites this entire huge crowd of 5,000 people to sit down on the grass for a meal. And it's a meal he serves himself. This is abundance beyond human knowledge. 
Jesus feeding the entire crowd's hunger himself. And this is the only sign or miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. But in John's version, what we heard this morning, this is the only one where Jesus himself is doing the feeding. I think that invites us to look at this incredible intimacy of his presence. I, Jesus, can and will feed you. Mine is an unending source of nourishment, an unending source of love that will stretch your minds. That is beyond comprehension. I, Jesus, am in your midst, and I will feed absolutely everyone. The theologian Cheryl Bridges Johns writes that the end of human knowledge is the beginning of love's knowledge. The end of human knowledge is the beginning of love's knowledge. And that is enough to feed a multitude with much left over. Love's knowledge, the knowledge of love, the knowledge of Christ, blasts through limits and makes a way forward when human knowledge comes to an end. So our challenge is to look at the limits in ourselves and limits around us, limits that hamper the flourishing of every human being, for every single human being is created in God's image. In all our diversity, God's image. So for me right now, it's all about learning about the gaps in my knowledge and the history of race and the dynamics of race and ethnicity the dynamics of them playing out in our economic system, justice system, medical system, and more. And for me, it's taking that knowledge and looking, praying on that knowledge of what can I do? What can my feet do? What can my actions be? I don't know yet. I'm more like Philip. Like, how, how can this be? How can I feed people? How can I do anything? There's so much need. So the question for each of you, like the question for me is, where's God calling you to be stretched? Be it stretching your imagination, stretching your knowledge, stretching your hearts, stretching your deeds. What new things need to be done? And what might need to be left undone? What might need to be left behind? The call is for us to stretch beyond human knowledge to the powerful knowledge of God's love and the abundance it produces. And this is where our hope lies. It lies in the love that stretches us beyond our limits. Our hope lies in the presence of God's abundant love. And our hope lies in the miracle of God among us, feeding all of humanity with the life-giving power of her love. Amen.